Hey team, it's Ryan. On today's episode of The Walk-Ons, we've got the White Mamba himself, Brian Scalabrini, as our guest to talk the big three, the Celtics, Team USA, and of course, his new lemonade vodka that packs a serious punch. Plus, we break down game four of the NBA Finals, some Ben Simmons trade talk, the MLB All-Star game, and a whole lot more. Here we go. Talking sports as they report back and forth from their home court. They talk the sports if you're not sure. They talk of sports and then talk more about all sports. East, West, South, North. Ryan talks sports. Andrew retorts. And George will hear as they both sort through all the sports they both support. The Walk-Ons. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Walk-Ons podcast. This is Ryan Reeves. It is Thursday, July 15th, 2021. And after a brief hiatus for our favorite executive producer Seamus Fendi's wedding and honeymoon we are back Andrew it's good to see you man yeah it's good to see you guys I, I hope you guys enjoyed the wedding I actually didn't take a hiatus because we had our second end of the bench episode which I know everyone checked out and loved right with my good friend Billy yeah you crushed it you absolutely crushed it yeah he had a horrible hot dog pun but other than that it was flawless the hot dog pun was, was tough to swallow uh let's just put it that way yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, hey, the wedding the wedding was fun. Shout out to Seamus and his lovely wife Sarah for having us. It was great. Uh, you know, just one of those where you just get fed alcohol all night and everybody just never nobody remembers, but they all just think they had a good time, right? And that, that was what that's what weddings are all about. That's it's love is in the I air, booze is inside everyone's body, it's all good. But Andrew, let's let's talk some sports. That's why we're here today, of course. But the 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 dice roll of the NBA playoffs continues, right? I mean, it looked like for the first two games in the NBA finals, the Suns were going to walk away with this thing. Maybe Suns and four, which those Suns and four, all those merchandisers were just oozing at the mouth for that stuff. And then, of course, the Bucks do what they do. They're resilient. They win two at home. Awesome game last night. It really looked like the Suns had it in hand. And then at, at the very end, they crumbled. Chris Paul, not good. Uh, Chris Middleton, fantastic. Giannis with that all-time block on DeAndre Ayton. Look, I don't want to ask you what, what to make of the series. I don't think anybody knows from, from game game to game, but what do you make of last night's game in general? Just to, Do you think that turned the series in the Bucks' favor, or do we just not know at this point? Well, I, I don't know that it necessarily turned the, the series in their favor totally, but I do think it, it, it's, made, it's going to be a seven-game series. I think the fact that that game was so pivotal in the sense of if the Suns go up 3-1, it's over. I mean, the Bucs might get another one in there, but they're not going to win the last three. That series made it so that we, we, you know, it's pretty much even ground now, best of three series. And I just look back to the, the net series with the Bucs when they got destroyed by 50 in game two. And the fact that they came back to win that series, even though there's a lot of debate about, oh, KD probably wins that if his shoe size is smaller or if they're healthy. But still, they came back to win. And that showed me that just because the Suns were up 2 nothing did not mean the Bucs were out of the series. And, yeah, the way they played in games three and four was really inspiring if you're a Bucs fan. But you've already seen how, like, flip-floppy this series could be. So I would not be surprised if Phoenix went out and dominated game five, but it would still not be over after that. So seven-game series is pretty much the only analysis I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to just definitively say about this series. Yeah, expert analysis indeed. I mean, look, it, this series is exactly what – it should be right. It's just that kind of teeter totter. It's the way the, you mentioned the, the net series, right? I mean, the bucks were down 2-0 in that series. It looked like it was over. Yes. The, the nets had some injuries, right. And that you can kind of throw that aside, but 
the Bucs have been really, really, really resilient. I mean, they they swept Miami in the first round. They looked like they were going to run through the playoffs, and then they ran into the Nets, and it looked like the Nets were going to take care of them. Down 2-0, they come back. They were tied 2-2 with Atlanta, and it kind of was like, well, do the Bucs even care? I mean, Trey Young shooting the lights out. They came back. They won that series. It It's just one of those things that just feels like you can't kill them. And Giannis, for all the stuff that he's been getting right, and then that, that ugly-looking knee about a week ago, is out here just – jumping score you know averaging like 35 and 12 then he makes that play on DeAndre Ayton I mean he looks like nothing ever happened I mean that is physically that makes absolutely no sense I we all saw his knee bend the other way and here he is like meeting DeAndre Ayton a seven footer at at the top of the backboard basically for that block uh Chris Middleton he really is the key for me I mean he needs to he needs to show up and he did yesterday, but they need more of that. I guess for me, especially out here being in Phoenix, man, like, you know, everybody's saying, oh, the Suns are cursed. The Suns this, the Suns that. They're already thinking they lost this series, which is very interesting to me. And I mean, certainly Chris Paul did not look good last night. Seven assists, five turnovers, almost as many turnovers as assists, which is insane to me. That's not the kind of player that he is. But I almost wonder is like, is he gassed? He kind of looks like he's maybe, you know, I mean, he's an older player, right? And this has been questions all year about, can he withstand this? Can he keep playing at a high level? Certainly has quelled those questions up till now, but I mean, he looked a little tired last night, if I'm being honest. Oh yeah. And I was really going to say, not only was that a character form, but you could really argue that the Suns lost last night because of that performance. I mean, I was listening in on the radio because I was driving home and I would, the thing they really clued in on was like, the difference in this game is the fact that the Bucks are at the free throw line a lot more and the turnovers, points off turnovers from Milwaukee. And Chris Paul was a huge factor of that. Like he made so many uncharacteristic turnovers. And if the Suns played just even a, a marginally better game when it comes to like sloppiness, they win that game. And that the, the Giannis block doesn't even factor into things. So I think they beat themselves a lot last night, especially with the fact that Booker put up 40 plus points and they got lucky with that ref not giving him the sixth foul at the end. So that was really the that wasn't like, I mean, could you be more transparent of like a makeup call, right? Like maybe there were a couple chick ticky tack early ones that he got, but I mean, he fouled Drew Holiday like four times. Yeah. Get his hand on his back, like over his head. Yeah. So even though it was a game where they lost, I don't think you, Monty Williams is looking at this going like, oh, we're done. He's like, we could easily win the next two and have this be a six game series. But like I said, I, I think we're just headed towards seven. I, I think it just, both these teams kind of feel like teams of destiny in some way or another, like where there's not really like one team that it's like clearly their year. Like you can make arguments for both. So as just an NBA fan and as, as crazy as these playoffs have been, it's hard to predict what will happen. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the ride. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think they're both teams of destiny. I mean, reeling fan bases, right? Like the Bucks haven't won a, a championship since 1974. The Suns have never won one. I mean, so whoever wins is going to be, that city is going to be geeking for like a month. It's going to be awesome. And this, this series has everything written all over it for game seven, which is exactly what you want to see as a fan. I'm not sure a road team has enough to even win a game in the series. It might just be all home teams. I mean, that might be what it is, but I guess, you know, Chris Paul aside from Devin Booker's standpoint, look, he's already proven he can carry this team to an extent, right? He did it in the bubble last year. He had 40 last night, despite the foul trouble. I mean, does it feel like Devin Booker can actually carry the Suns to a championship here if Chris Paul is not kind of the same? If, if we get more Chris Paul like we got in game four in five, six, and seven? I think he can. I think he's just, he's just going to need the other guys to contribute or at least be not detriments. I mean, I thought Michael Bridges wasn't great last night. Um, and I thought, you know, the fact that they, 
Yeah, they just they they need and that's what has excelled them so far in these playoffs is like yes they have Booker and Chris Paul two stars but they're getting everything from the role players Cam Johnson Michael Bridges Jay Crowder even Aiton has really elevated himself to probably being a top ten center of these playoffs so even though yes they have the star power it's really more of this really deep team that kind of does everything really well and so yes Chris Paul can be kind of off and I still really like the Suns chances but. It can't be a one-man show. That's, that's I think, the best way to frame it is it can't be just Devin Booker. If you can at least have those other guys be, you know, just not net negatives, then I still think the Suns are going to be in every single game, and it's really going to be a great series down to Dwyer. Yeah, definitely. Well, all right, let's wrap this up with a bonus question. Where would you rather be celebrating an NBA Finals championship? Would you rather be in Milwaukee? So just think of this. If the Bucks win or the Suns win, which city would you rather be partying in? So I feel like both are, are like both great areas to party in just because like the Wisconsin people like just they house beer like it's their nope. job. Yeah, yeah. But then like Phoenix is just like this kind of like trashy party town in a lot of ways. Um, and it's bigger. I think there's more like, you know, you're out in the in the summer and it's I don't know. I, I, I want to say Phoenix, but I also feel like the the Milwaukee crowd like this is no detriment to them. I think that would also be a hell of a time in Deer Valley. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Phoenix, but I, if if you gun to my head said you have to party with the Milwaukee fans after the Bucks win, I would not be opposed to it. Uh, the perfect non-answer answer, but <laughs> that's what you do best. I didn't even answer. I said Phoenix. Okay, you said Phoenix. I said okay. Phoenix. Like my family's from Wisconsin. Those folks know how to drink some beer. The Miller Lights, the Spotted Cows of the world but it is swassy there right now in July. It is ugly. It's sticky. So for my money, I'm just thinking about the day after. I would rather wake up in Phoenix than wake up in Milwaukee with a raging hangover. Plus they do a lot, they do tequila a lot better down here in Arizona. So that's a good answer. I think I'll, I'll, I'll see you in, in Arizona, buddy. You can come stay at my house. Great. <laughs> let's look, let's look to the offseason a little bit. Cause I want to talk about the quiet uh, Leonard injury news. Um, look, it was clear to everybody that it was an ACL injury, right? And the, the Clippers could hide it as long as they wanted to. He, of course, had surgery for the partial ACL tear. I think we've kind of beaten this to death. Is this Paul George's team? Is this Kawhi Leonard's team? I think really the question is, from Kawhi Leonard's standpoint, I mean, look, we've seen a lot of guys come back from ACLs. We've seen a lot of guys have their careers ended with ACLs. I mean, Brandon Roy was one of my favorite players ever, and he just could not get over those knee injuries. I'm, I'm just wondering from your standpoint, do we see the same Kawhi Leonard that we've been accustomed to seeing the last three years when he comes back from this knee injury. I, I doubt we'll see the same Kawhi Leonard in the fact that he's arguably like the best player in the NBA, but he'd still be probably a top 20 sure. guy for sure. The best player in the NBA. Arguably the best player. I mean, when, when the Raptors won the finals, that's like, that was a real talking point. It was like, oh, is Kawhi now the face of the league? Because he's now won titles in two cities. Not but, with that laugh, but I get you. Yeah, and that's why the, when he went to the Clippers, it was such a big deal because we're like, all right, now the Clippers are the favorite. It's going to be Kawhi versus LeBron, and that was really a, a serious kind of argument people were having. I think he'll still be a top 30 player, and he's still going to be a, a guy that we look at when he's healthy, saying, oh, the Clippers with, with PG and Kawhi are still a team to be reckoned with. But, yeah, I think a lot of the luster from Kawhi is, is, is worn off the last two years, and so that's going to be interesting to see. But I do think this injury means he stays in L.A. because he's going to collect his paycheck next year. Plus – the Clippers did show enough this year that like they are really good. They kind of got over the hump of that last year presented. And I'm sure if he can come back next year and maybe they, they've kind of figured out like Paul George is kind of the emotional leader on this team and Kawhi can just go do his thing. Then the Clippers really might be in a position to succeed. So 
I, I don't know. I don't want to do the classic. I'm not really giving you an answer, but I, I think my answer is, is he probably won't be as good as he has don't been. Don't do that to yourself, Andrew. You can give great answers, even if they're not answers. Okay. Well, I'm. my answer is I think he'll be back and he'll be really good, but he probably isn't in that argument of is he the top five, probably, or no, potentially the best player in the league. Yep, there you have it. Kawhi will be back, and he'll be pretty good. Um, well, <laughs> hey, speaking of potentially, you mentioned, right, I think this knee injury probably keeps Kawhi in L.A. for at least another year. I agree with that. But speaking of a guy staying, potentially going, Ben Simmons is kind of the other big news in the offseason, right? I think the funniest thing for me, Andrew, is, like, the teams that are rumored to be engaging in trade talks with the Sixers, it's all, like, the garbage. It's Minnesota Timberwolves. It, I think Cleveland's in there. Sacramento. It's like, I wonder if it's, if it speaks more to those organizations that they're interested in a guy like Ben Simmons after the year that he had, I mean, buy low, sell high kind of thing, or if it really is sort of a perception around the league about Ben Simmons as a player, right? I mean, you'll see a lot of playoff teams or contenders and they're saying, yeah, let's see if we can trade for Ben Simmons. No, well, because I think Ben Simmons right now needs to be in a position where he's sent to a team where there's no pressure of winning in the playoffs right now, and they can kind of build around him. I think that's one what's best suited for him right now. He can kind of grow into being the leader because a lot of the talk this year was, well, the games where Embiid didn't play, Simmons was actually really good because he was the number one option and there was no argument about that. So I get that. I can like see why that might appeal to a team like Sacramento or Minnesota and say, hey, if we just bring him in and build around him and appeal to his style of play, that might actually benefit us. Plus, Minnesota and Sacramento have shown they can't draft worth a crap. So Maybe like we don't really get an option to get an all-star caliber player that often. Let's bring him in and let's see what happens. And, you know, I'm like, go for it. Like him going to the Kings him go to the Timberwolves, him even going to the Blazers. I don't look at that really changing too much in the Western conference. Like I don't look at the, the, the Wolves having Cat and Ben Simmons and me going, Oh, now they're, they're a playoff team. I still think they won't be very good because Minnesota can't really get out of their own way. So yeah, I just kind of hope he goes to a team and, you know, he's an exciting player, so I hope he figures it out, but I'm not going to lose any sleep over, like, wherever he gets traded to and being like, oh, now that's a that's a real threat to win, win the title. Yeah, I, I think that's interesting. I mean, if anything, it's kind of a weird indictment, like, on Ben Simmons, right, as, as a guy who just turned 24, former, former, former number one pick overall, he's still a project, right? He maybe needs to go to a team where there's no expectations, there's no playoff real hopes, and just kind of learn to build. I mean, wh what are we going to get? Like, is this guy going to be 28 years old and still like, well, Ben Simmons is still coming along. Like, I mean, at some point, it's got to click for him. Uh, otherwise, I mean, what are we doing? Oh, so yeah. And at some point, I mean, for sure. But like, you just look at I me, mean, not that they're the same player, but Marco Fultz went to Orlando and he's already just better because he's not in that position of having all the pressure on him. And, you know, Ben Simmons could continue to be the type of player he is right now and still be an all-star caliber player every year. It's not like he's some guy that sucks, but we're like, but he could be good. Like he is good. We just know he can be better. So if you're like Sacramento and you go, you know what, maybe we could give up Halliburton, some of our draft picks or something, and maybe find a way to keep Darren Fox. Like suddenly you look at that team and go, they have a nice little core to build around. Uh, maybe they're good in a couple of years. Same with Minnesota. Like if you, I don't know. There's, I think front offices can convince themselves to make these moves, um, but I just don't see a playoff team that's like, we're in win now, betting on Ben Simmons, especially if the Sixers want all-star caliber players in return. So well, I think with those yeah. teams, they're not going to get any all-star caliber players, but I, I see what you're saying. And I think it makes sense. I mean, look, I, I, 
I like Ben Simmons. I think he does a lot of stuff on the basketball floor that makes your team better. He's just not a number one, maybe not even a number two option. As, as a kid from Northern California, I would love to see the Kings maybe take a, take a flyer on a guy like that, right? Uh, I mean, you're going to probably have to give up a little bit, but you know, it'd be nice because they certainly can't draft worth, worth a crap. I mean, they're absolutely awful. But um, let's go to, we're going to throw to our interview with the White Mamba, the man himself, Brian Scalabrini. So we will be right back. All right, our guest today is an 11-year NBA vet. He's a 2008 NBA champ with the Boston Celtics. He's now the captain of the Big Three's Ball Hogs, who are now 1-0, and by, by the way. I got that big num- uh, W in week one. He's continuing as a lead analyst for the Celtics. He's, of course, a pickup legend who balls out wherever he goes. It's the White Mamba himself, Brian Scalabrini. Brian, what's up, man? How you feeling? Yeah, who came up with the name, the Walk-Ons Bobcat? You know, if, you, if the name wasn't the Walk-Ons, I probably wouldn't have done it. So I do like, I think it's a catchy name. We specifically made it to get guys like you to come on the show. We want you to feel bad for this, Brian. <laughs> I feel really comfortable around you guys, man. I feel like I was a walk-on my whole life. <laughs> hey, this is what it's all about. You're basically the legend of the show. I mean, you are at the top of the pillar, my friend. You're at the top of the pyramid. That's that's not a pyramid. That's not a bad pyramid to be at the top of. <laughs> yeah, not a pyramid. Not to be confused with the pyramid scheme. Excuse me. That's a, this is a different kind of pyramid. But hey, man, we we really appreciate you joining us. I, I love your upbeat attitude. You're always a great great guest. You're a great dude. Uh, look, let's, let's go right into big three. Your ball hogs. You got a huge W this week over Michael Cooper's team, three's company. I know you had a tough season last year, but you made some major moves this off season. You brought in Spencer Hawes, Leandro Barbosa, who I love as a Warriors fan, Jody Meeks. I mean, this is a nice looking team. Do you feel like this is the best team that the ball hogs have put together? And are you going to pre- break the postseason curse this year? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, the, the biggest thing is, you know, when you, you know, you talk to former NBA players, like I'm on the phone with Barbosa and, you know, I know a lot of the guys from the Warriors, you know, I coached a year with the Warriors. So, and Bob Myers was my agent. So I talked to Bob and he's like, Barbosa is really good. Like he actually believes that Barbosa could play in the NBA. If, if that was the direction they wanted to go, or if they were going to make a, some type of run, like it, it wouldn't be unheard of this to, for them to say like Barbosa is good enough to play in the league. So that box was checked. I had to convince him to do it. The Spencer Hawes thing was one of those things where I'm like, all right, I know you can shoot. I know you can pass. I, I, there's a certain way that I want to play. The, the ball hogs in the past have tried to go one-on-one and you're not going to beat some of these guys going one-on-one. We got to play team ball. And, and then you add Jody Meeks to the mix and he's a lights out shooter. Always has been probably always will be as long as he's in shape. So you know, you, you hope that this thing will work out when you're putting it together on paper. And so far for week one, not only did we win, but just the style of play. Like, we really moved the ball. The guys were attacking the basket and sharing it. And we didn't take a lot of bad shots, which is it's, it's, it's nice to see. And I thought it was a good win for us, but we, we definitely need to get better and build off of it. Absolutely. And hey, you mentioned you need to play team ball to win, but... There's a new rule in the big three this year. It's called the bring the fire challenge where you get to once per half, you can challenge a foul call and then you get to play someone one-on-one to determine who wins the call. So as team captain, do you get to determine who uses them or, you know, or just speaking from your, you know, one-on-one skills, is there anyone in the league you're dying to challenge one-on-one in that case? Yeah. So it's, it's only the defensive team. Like you can't challenge an offensive foul. You could challenge a defensive foul. So it's a defense that calls it. And then it's a guy that's going to go out there and play defense. So depending on a matchup, like if it's a big wing, it might end up being me. Like I don't want Barbosa or Jody Meeks 
to have to end up uh, going out there and having to guard like a guy that's six foot nine and 250 pounds. So, and nor do I want Spencer Hawes or, or, or Will McDonald, who's one of our better post players, guard them. So if there's a big wing, it probably is going to be me that has to go out there and guard. I don't think I'll get the nod on the offensive end. I think we're going to go with the Brazilian blur offensively. I don't know how anybody would stay in front of him one-on-one. So that's sort of the game plan at this point. But if it's a small, I'm not going to be out there. And maybe if it's like Greg Oden, I'm not going to be out there, but big wings, that's going to have to be my job. And, you know, I mean, Ice Cube is always innovative. He's trying to make the league better and he's trying to make it more exciting. And so I, I, I like to rule. I mean, you know, like how many times were we at a park, we either say shoot for it or let's play one-on-one for it. Like this is like back to street ball. And I, and I like that. I like that element of the big three that it is kind of throwback to, you know, old school basketball. Yeah, I love it too, man. It's it's old school basketball, but it's kind of new school thinking, right? You're implementing these rule changes. I mean, basically everything about it is innovative. It's awesome. But look, as a guy, I'm a basketball player. We I've played three on three. Like we know how it goes at the courts. You know, you see you see these guys and play some pickup, right? But from a game planning standpoint, you mentioned Greg Oden. You got their team up next week. Mm-hmm. What's the game planning like? Go into a three on three versus you know a typical five on five environment. I mean, do you really kind of go X's and O's? Do you try to exploit you know, some opportunities there. How do you guys go about that? Yeah. So, so you, you would call it like organized uh, movement into mismatch, right? You want to, you want to get a guy like Greg Odin on the move and you want Barbosa to attack and you want them to get in a position where they're compromised. And then you want to play out of the mismatch. But if you try to exploit the mismatch without movement, it's not going to work for us at least. I mean, it works for some people that have elite one-on-one talent. So I think it like kind of simplifies that. Like, just imagine since you're a basketball player, you know, there's the ball up top, a guy flashes to the wing, gets a real quick catch, throws it back, slips out of a screen. Here comes another screen, right? It's movement. And then ideally, you know, without the weak side help and stuff like that, you're trying to play out of that mismatch. And that mismatch could be Greg Oden on Barbosa, And then they end up putting uh, a guard on Will McDonald. Well, that's a mismatch for us down low. So those are the type of things that we're trying to do, trying to create rotation and the court is still like as wide as the NBA court, but there's only three players out there. So you want to play with spacing. Shooting is at a premium. you got to make sure you can make shots and space the floor. So it's really like a concept of that. And you do it over and over and over again. And a steady diet of anything will get guys on their heels. And, and I mean, I'm sorry, a steady diet of anything will allow guys to be aggressive. But if you keep them on your heels, then you can, you know, be the more aggressive team. Yeah, that makes all the sense in the world. I mean, let's strip it down because I want to ask you about this too. We're not talking three on three anymore. I want to talk one-on-one because there's a video of you that I absolutely love. There's some kid who challenged you at some gym, God knows where, to one-on-one thinking that he can get the best of Scal. You waxed him 11 to nothing. I absolutely love this video. I mean, you just, you, you took him through the ringer. You showed him every every little move and you just made him embarrassed. Yeah. So there's a little you- background on that, right? Yeah, like that. I love it. Yeah, so I go into the gym and I haven't played in a while because, you know, I play pickup all the time and I hurt my back, like, you know, tweaked it. And when you're 43 and you tweak your back, it's a lot different than when you're like, you know, playing in the NBA and you got a million massage therapists around you and stuff like that. So I wanted to get back into the gym and just get some shots up, right? But I also have kids. I have a 14-year-old daughter that plays and I have an eight-year-old son that plays. And I'm always telling them, you got to be tough. You got to step up to the challenge. Never let anybody punk you, right? So the kid comes up to me and I'm like, you know what, man? I don't really want to do this today. And he's like, what are you weak? You're like, you scared you're going to lose? So then I like immediately a switch happens in my mind. I'm like, you know what? 
I, you know, like I look at him and I look at my son and my son's like, dad, you know, like you tell me to bring it. You tell me not to back down. Why are you backing down from this punk right here? And that's my eight-year-old son, right? So I started putting things up, like, let's play for the iPhone. Let's play for the shoes. I wanted him to like feel the pain and say no, but he said yes. And he kept talking smack. So at that point, you know, I played in 11, I played 11 years in the NBA for a reason. I'm a little bit tapped when it comes to basketball and I can go to these dark, dark places where I have to like dig deep. And, you know, I've, I've gone against guys who are bigger, stronger, faster, more talented than me for the, for my entire life. So if I'm not like a little bit mentally tapped, like for instance, one time I guarded Kevin Durant, he crossed me up and hit a shot and I was mind boggled how he scored on me. That's how delusional NBA players are, right? It's like, we're, we're nutso, right? So anyways, I get a little bit of that and I crushed the kid 11-0. I had no idea it was gonna, that was not me posting it. That was them and I had no idea it was gonna turn into like, 10 million views or anything like that. But I do play, like if you guys come and wanted to play one-on-one -on -one and I was in the gym, I would play you guys. I would say, all right, let's get after it, you know? Like, and then I would give you tips along the way. Like, hey, when you're driving right, you gotta think about doing this. But with that kid, it was all about just like destroying him and it's kind of embarrassing him for kind of disrespecting me. I love it. Yeah, you gotta stick up for young, especially when you're young kids there. I mean, he's like, come on, dad. Like. Listen, I would love to play one-on-one -on -one with you, but I would know better that I'd just be going into it just hoping maybe I can hit like a, a logo shot and maybe get a point on you. But look, man, <laughs> I think it's awesome. But on that same, do, do you get that a lot? I mean, you said, you know, certainly from, from the end of, of your career, you're kind of just you know, away from basketball a little bit, obviously still training, playing pickup. But do guys like come up to you and say, oh, like that's scal, I can take that, dude. I mean, you're an NBA yeah. man. You're an 11 year vet. Like, what do they yeah. think? I mean, wouldn't you do it as well just to see where you stand though? Like there's yeah, one thing about, no, I, I know my limits and I certainly standing up next to you, man, I, I'm like six feet on my best day. I certainly, I got no hope, no hope. I know, but I just, don't you think people want to know what it's like to go against? I, I think I would. I mean, I don't think I would want to know what it's like to try to hit like a hundred mile an hour fastball or like, it's the weirdest thing about basketball because like, I wouldn't want to, you know, carry the ball, get tackled by a defensive tackle. Like there's no other sport where I would want to just like kind of like, throw my hat in the ring in, or, Hey, I think I can go around with you in a boxing ring. Like I'd be like, I'm good. But basketball is one of those sports where people, I think they want to see where they size up. And uh, it's, I, I do it. Like I said, I do it all the time. If you asked me to play and I was warmed up and I didn't, and I was like, yeah, I'll play. I, I play people. I, you, like I said, I do it so often. I'm surprised that that video in particular went viral and blew up because I'm doing it. If I'm in gyms, I'm playing dudes one-on-one -on -one every time I'm in the gym, just because I'm like trying to get a workout in. Yeah, no, it's, I think I'd, I'd seen a video in the past too, where it's something similar where a guy's like, I, I was a walk-on at Syracuse, I'll beat you. And you're like, no, you played in the NBA for 11 years, but um, you know, speaking of the NBA, so you had the 11 year career, which is a fantastic, you know, fan favorite, great player on that 09 Celtics champion or the uh, 08 Celtics championship team, but recently signed a five year extension to be the, the Celtics lead analyst. And first of all, congrats, super well deserved, but there's a busy offseason coming for you guys. Obviously, Danny Ainge is no longer the president of operations. Brad Stevens is stepping up to the front office. You got Ime Odoka, who's now the head coach. You know, considering all these changes, what do you kind of expect from the Celtics this offseason? Because it's a playoff experience team. You have two bona fide all-stars, but you know, there's still a lot of change potentially on the horizon. So are they just a move or two away, or is this kind of a more a bigger offseason of changes than people are expecting? So knowing Brad, I know that 
I mean, historically, and Brad has never complained uh, ever, you know, publicly or anything like that. But I think he's always wanted to have like a couple veterans, like, and I'm not saying like 11 year guy, 11 years in that sit on the engine, the bench and do nothing but just talk. I think he wants like guys who are established, but you know how there's this funny thing that happens with these players, right? They're not NBA superstars. So a lot of times people give up on, you know, that's the guy who's six years in the NBA and is like, ah, why do I want this guy? I'd rather, you know, roll the dice on a young guy. I think Brad might add a few of those guys to the team. And I think the way you got to look at it is, you know, like Tatum and Brown are like the, like the pillars of the franchise and everything you do, you got to surround those two guys with guys that can help them. And I think last year, Kemba Walker, you know, like Kemba Walker is a good player and he was, by the way, when he played, he was really good. His stats were really good, but he's not enhancing Jalen and Jason. So whether it's from a leadership standpoint, whether it's from a ball handling standpoint, a shooting standpoint, a rebounding, a defensive standpoint, you got to help accentuate those two players to become all NBA type of players. That is how this team will grow. That is how this team will get better. And they still have guys like Marcus Smart and, I, and Robert Williams when healthy. Like they have other players around them that fit into that mold. And typically here in Boston, everyone talks about titles. Oh, you got to win a title or people don't care. That's not true. The people love teams that exceed expectations. If you can exceed expectations, which the year we had Kyrie and Gordon Hayward coming back, we did not exceed expectations. You know, they had that huge run and then those two guys come and then the team was awful, right? This past year, we had high expectations for the team and they, they went to the Eastern Conference Finals three or four years and now it's like finally time to take that next step. And they didn't live up to expectations once again. So I think it's about exceeding expectations. If they can do that, then we're talking about a team that people will love here in Boston. Are they championship level? Well, I would have said Atlanta wasn't championship level. Phoenix wasn't championship level. I would have said all those teams were championship level, which is kind of opening up the door to saying like, NBA is a lot of parody and injuries come into play. You never know what could happen. So are they in the conversation? My guess is they will be in the conversation just not the favorite. Yeah, and the return on that uh, on that Kevin Walker move too. I mean, Al Horford, a guy who's been there before, who plays really well in that system. I think it's you know makes a lot of sense. But certainly an interesting offseason for the Celtics. But let's talk kind of. And you mentioned parody, Brian. Like let's talk about the two teams who are still playing. Right, you got the Milwaukee Bucks haven't won a title since 1974. You got the Phoenix Suns who've never won a title. Back and forth. I mean, we've got the first two games to Phoenix, the next two to, to Milwaukee. It seems like it's anybody's game. We talked earlier on the show. Looks like it's going to go seven, but. I think maybe a two-part question. One, who do you like in this sort of de facto three-game series and why? And then secondarily, I mean, what does this speak to kind of the overall parity of the league, right? I mean, there, there's no Lakers in there. There's no, you know, Celtics in there. I mean, this is a very interesting time for the NBA where it feels like 10, 12 different teams have a shot at the title every single year. Yeah, so here's how I, how, like, so I've, I've been, you know, like the game, the, the, the media game is changing and, you know, gambling is starting to become a big deal, right? Like everyone has to talk about it. So you start talking about it and you start like, like dabbling in it. So I knew the Bucks were going to lose game one on the road. Historically speaking, the Bucks suck in game one. They just do just go back and look at their, their, their results. They're awful. Right. Then it's game two. I, I, I didn't like the Bucks at that point, but I did always like the Bucks on the series. And as wins start to stack up, the odds go more in, in the Bucks' favor. So I put a little bit of coin on the Bucks after game two because I just assume that if everyone plays their best basketball, the Bucs are a better team. If the Bucs aren't like, like, first of all, they're defensively, they've been amazing this series. And I'm not going to take anything away from 
what they have been on the defensive end. But the answer offensively is simply move the ball. And if you move the ball, you're going to get good shots. Here's the problem with the Bucs compared to some other teams that I played on, some championship-level teams. Like, we don't evaluate makes and misses. We evaluate good shots and bad shots, right? And a good shot is the ball goes side to side, the ball gets driven to the paint, kicked out wide open three, they shoot it, they miss. The Bucs could, the next five possessions, go down and just jack up three-point shots from not, without moving the ball whatsoever. So to me, it's simple. It's as simple as if the Bucs move the ball side to side, they're already a freak of nature on the defensive end. You're seeing what Drew Holiday is doing to uh, uh, Chris Paul out there. So like these guys are next level defensively. They move the ball side to side. I, I can't see them get beat. But they are one of the lowest basketball IQ teams I have ever seen this late in, in, in the NBA finals. Because And they're still two games away from winning an NBA championship, which to me explains to you guys like how talented they are. And Giannis is unstoppable when he is going to those little screen or pitch and follow or dribble handoffs. You cannot stop him and the Bucks when he's playing that way. So we got the Bucks winning this series, but if they do exactly what they did last night, I don't know when this is going to post, but in game four, they will lose in Phoenix by 20 points. So they got to play a lot better than that, but they're clearly capable of playing at an extremely high level. No, exactly. Yeah, we were mentioned that kind of in our first segment, but you mentioned like what it kind of takes to win team basketball right now. And another team that really hasn't done a whole lot of winning recently is a team you mentioned offline that you just saw last week is Team USA. Um, we we kind of had our own segment about like, what are some of the things that are going on right now and that have led to the, the loss to Nigeria and Australia? What did, what did you kind of see up close in person to kind of consider about this team? And is it just as simple as when they get Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton and Devin Booker, and maybe the guys replacing Bradley Bill that things will come together? Or is there something deeper going on with why this team struggled off the gate? Yeah, so... So it's, it's, so it's not a sound the alarm thing, even though I do believe USA, Team USA can get beat. So like these other teams are playing, well, first of all, let's step back. FIBA basketball is completely different than the NBA. And I'm like, you guys, if you like the NBA in the playoffs, you, you probably don't like it in the regular season because the foul calls are insufferable at times. It is like, what are we doing? I, I coach my 14-year-old daughter, my 14-year-old daughter's AAU team is more physical than the NBA. And come on, man. It's like there's something wrong when college, high school, AAU, little kids, all those leagues are more physical. By the way, did you ever watch WNBA? Also more physical. G League, also more physical. The NBA protects its players, and they really protect its stars. So now let's get into FIBA. FIBA is physical. Nigeria, when... Dame Lillard put the ball on the floor, two hands to the chest, and then square the guy. No foul. When Kevin Durant goes up, body contact, all ball, but a lot of body contact, no foul. Kevin Durant on his backside. So the question is just, which I have no idea. I'm not, I was never a superstar player slated to make $200 million or $100 million or whatever. But will Team USA embrace the physicality and really want the gold if they don't if they don't want that they won't win but if they're like yeah we're about this which are clearly able to adapt if they're about it they will win so I just don't know mentally what it's like to turn the corner knowing that Kevin Durant's thinking man I might end up on my backside the referees are not protecting me 
in this tournament, and it's only for a gold medal. Maybe that means a lot for Kevin Durant. Maybe it doesn't. I have no idea what he's thinking or what the team is thinking. But if they have to be all in to beat some of these teams who are playing, look at Luka Doncic saying, I'd rather win a gold medal for Sylvania versus win an NBA championship. Like these guys are all in. This is life-changing stuff for them. If Kevin Durant wins a gold medal or not, is it really changing his life? So those are all questions. I have no idea what the answers are. The one team in, I think they were called the Redeem team, and I think it was in 08. Yeah. Was that right? Yeah, because you guys were monsters out there, and, and they wanted to win it. So if these guys want to win it and they're willing to adapt and willing to embrace the physicality, they'll win. But if not, I got them losing. So I'm taking the field at this point because these guys got a lot to lose when they're out there playing in this physical game. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And honestly, we were talking about this offline, Brian. The – the regular season NBA, you're right. They, they protect their stars, but I mean, some of those games are just awful to watch. You oh. 60, 70 free throws. Every time a guy dribbles a ball, up, a whistle. Like, it's absolutely awful to see. And FIBA, I think, you know, I hope maybe Adam Silver's watching somebody from the NBA and they kind of bring in some of those those concepts, you know, a little, little more physical play. But we were talking offline about this. It looks like there might be a few spots open on this Team USA roster. You've got Bradley Beal, who's on the COVID list. Mm -hmm. Jeremy Grant looks like he's going to join that as well. Who knows if Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, or Devin Booker are going to want to play after what's going to be a drag-out series. Doesn't this just scream Zion Williamson? Like, where is Zion Williamson in this whole thing? Why is he not on this team, in your opinion? That's, that's a great call. Um... You know what I think they need? Like Zion Williamson, a paint presence. I think they need a paint presence. And I'm, it's a guy that you could pass the ball to that can operate in that restricted area. So that's a great call by you. I'm hearing a lot of Christian Wood as well. He's like an inside-outside guy. So I, I do think it's funny. They'll replace Brad Beal, who's one of the best shooting guards in the NBA. And I think they realize like Draymond Green and Bam Adebayo are great, but they're guys like I call them conduits, right? They need the ball in their hand to switch sides of the floor and go into those screens and stuff like that. I think they need an operator down there in the paint. They need a guy that when you drive Christian Wood or Diane Williamson going up above the rim, that vertical spacing that you hear coaches talk about all the time. That's kind of, I think, the direction they will go if Brad, when they replace Brad Beal or even in Jeremy Grant. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, Brian, I could go for an hour with you. This is awesome, man. We really appreciate the time. But before we run out of time, I want to ask you, look, you were a silky smooth basketball player. You've also got yourself a little silky smooth spirit as well. You got this lemonade vodka, Scal's High Def. Tell me all about it. Tell me how it came about. Tell me where we can find it. I want to know everything. All right. So first of all, it's only in New England. Second of all, we had to change the name off High Def because there was a beer called High Def. It's like corporations and stuff like that. So now we just call it Scal's Vodka Lemonade. And I made it tough, man. Like how many times have you guys frustrated going into a bar, getting a drink, and you actually, you really do question whether there's alcohol in there or not. So I went super heavy. Like if I was a bartender, I would always pour with a heavy hand, which would probably get me in trouble, but 18% alcohol in this. So you can, if you can crush a can, you're a beast, but a lot of people take the can, like kind of mix it in with some ice and a little bit more club soda. So they have like a lot of different options. So it's all canned in a cocktail. It's called Scow's uh, Vodka Lemonade. It's a nice green can because I'm a Celtic at heart. And um, so if you're in the New England area, it's a phenomenal drink. It is the most bang for the buck that you will get out there because that's the way that I would like to do it. If I'm sipping on something, I want, to, I want it to have some strength.
you're here. I'm with you, man. Yeah, don't, don't give me some sort of mixed drink that's got six different kinds of sugar drink, sugar juice. Exactly. Like just a little bit. Give me, give me something. I usually just go whiskey and soda and just a little hint of soda right there. But listen, man, that is that is amazing. Can we still find it at scal.scal.rocks.com? Yeah, that's absolutely. I, I think it's just scal.rocks, and if you take that, it'll come up and. But right now we're in all the liquor stores up in the New England area. And, but you know, like the liquor game is an interesting game. We're looking to expand, but it's not, a, it's not as easy as you think, like just like get it out or on the web or anything like that. A lot of rules and stuff like that, that we're jumping through, but eventually we hope to get it out there to other places. But for right now it's doing really well in the New England area. I love it, man. We'll send me a case out here in Phoenix and I'll make sure that thing gets widespread. We, we absolutely love you, Brian. You are the walk-on of all walk-ons. You are the king. You are the white mamba. Thank you so much for your time. Definitely make sure to check out scal.rocks. You don't even need the .com because you're such a legend. It's Brian Scalabrini. Thank you so much, man. We appreciate the time. You got it. Anytime. All right. Our thanks to Brian Scalabrini. That was awesome. Uh, let's not forget captain of the big three ball hogs. Celtics analyst, 11-year NBA vet, and all-time walk-on legend, probably the best we've ever had. Make sure you pick up some vodka, especially if you're the New England area, scal.rocks. He doesn't even need the .com. It's scal.rocks. Get yourself some of Scal's, not high-def, Scal's vodka lemonade, and it packs a punch. So, you know, don't drive. Get yourself a DD or something, right, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, that was an all-time great interview and just the sense of like getting to talk to that guy like if you're an NBA fan for the last 20 years you know who Brian Scalabini is and you love him but I just want to say Ryan what the hell man offline I'm the one who said where is Zion Williamson and then in the interview not only do you mention it but Scalabrini gives you the credit for the IDs like good one on you man I mean oops oops sorry bud look hey I was just going with the flow of the interview I had to ask he was talking about the physicality of FIBA it seemed like the right time to, to ask the question. Listen, I'm not responsible for the white mama giving me props. It just is what it is. This is a collective effort. Podcasting is a team sport. So you really just lifted me up on that one. And I appreciate it. Thanks, Andrew. I say one nice thing about a former Duke player, and this is what happens. Yeah, well, that's I'm never doing it again, Dukies. That, that's it. That's your one time. <laughs> well, objectively speaking, regardless of who got the props, I think we all got treated to an absolute entertainment gauntlet by our boy Brian Scalabrini that guy's awesome I hope we have him back very very soon definitely gonna pick up some of that vodka if I ever get out to the east coast I don't know Andrew maybe you can make a little how far is it from Charlotte up to New England oh I don't know but I'm in LA right now so I don't know why that well, I need you to go find out I need to bring yeah. back a little something <laughs> for your troubles all right, well, hey, let's, let's move on to an entirely different sport, but Major League Baseball All-Star Game. Look, All-Star Games, they're just – they are what they are, right? You get all the best players there. Most of them take, take their day off, right? I mean, the Pro Bowl, it's garbage. The NBA All-Star Game, some cool highlights, but it's mostly garbage. The NHL All-Star Game, never watch it. It's absolutely boring. But I actually really enjoy the MLB All-Star Game. I think it's very interesting. Certainly, they've done away with this – whoever wins the game gets to host the world series, which I actually thought was pretty cool. The AL, which, I mean, it's also good for the NL because the AL has apparently won eight in a row, but let's talk about the home run derby really quick, Andrew, because look, normally it's just, it's not that exciting, but if there was ever a home run derby to watch, it was this one in Coors Field, guys hitting 500 foot bombs, despite the ESPN coverage, just being basically causing, you know, anybody who's got a susceptible to a seizure, like you, the, the way they were cutting back and forth to those balls, it was a little insane, but I mean, do you make anything of this weekend? Is this something that you enjoy? Like, 
I personally like it, but it seems like a lot of people just kind of want it to be over with. Yeah, I was really excited for it. One, because like as a Rockies fan, I was really excited to see Coors Field on display and just see the, the city know, of Denver get some attention in a sport where their team is absolute garbage. But, you know, I, I the one takeaway I have is Pete Alonso is going to win every home run derby he's in for the rest of time. And my other takeaway is why do they structure it where you're like, like batting against one guy? Because like Salvador Perez hit bombs, um, you know, there was so many guys that like were actually ended up being like one of the top four hitters that didn't make it past the first round. Otani included, who was supposed to be the big draw. I love Trevor Story, but he shouldn't have been in the second round. That's my biggest critique is that I would have loved to see them put them the hitters in a position where we're truly getting the top four and the top two hitters in the late round. But yeah, the Coors Field effect was on full display. Pete Alonso at 35 home runs in just the first round. I read a stat that said he's made more off the home run derby because he's won it twice now than is the entire salary he's made with the Mets, which is like 1.5 million. Hey, listen, so, man, that's, that's where you get it. I love it. Look, yeah, the, I think the the actual setup, the format was kind of garbage, like you mentioned, right? I mean, fortunately, Sal Perez, who hit the most second most home runs in the first round, he was matched up against Pete Alonso, so he didn't get to go on. I think, you know, it was interesting. I think you're right. I mean, Pete Alonso, he's got the right swing for it, right? I mean, that guy just has got a heavy bat, heavy hands. He just lets it rip, especially in Coors Field in that thin air. I mean, that was an absolute beautiful thing to watch. I did not know that about – I knew his salary was not that high. It's like 500 k or something like that. But, of course, I mean, a guy like that, who cares how much you're making? Why wouldn't you just go win the home run derby every single year for the next decade? Yeah, he can just make, we could just call it the Pete Alonzo Derby. Or I don't know, just find a way to make it work. But he clearly is, is coming to play every time he's in it. And at Coors Field, he really made the most of it. And I thought the All-Star game was fine. Once Otani stopped pitching, I think a lot of like what really intrigued people kind of left the building. And the game like wasn't super spectacular. Guerrero had a nice bomb. But yeah, I mean, the All-Star game, the MLB, it's like kind of the one thing that they really do do better than the other sports. Um, and like I said, to see Coors Field kind of get some love, you know, in a sport that their, their team is just not great at was it was nice to, to see. But, yeah, I think with there not really being much else on this week, it was, it was cool to kind of be baseball-centric for a day or two. Yeah, I'm sure it was nice to see Nolan Arenado make his triumphant return as a Cardinal. And then, of course, yeah. Trevor Story, who will no longer be with the organization, probably past the trade deadline. So a yeah. nice little farewell for him. Look, yeah, I mean, the game wasn't that interesting, but I, I, I just love the idea of the individualized, right? I mean, you got – Guys like Otani, who's he's throwing 100 miles an hour in the first inning. I mean, this is not just some sort of walk in the park for the hitters, right? I mean, these are guys who actually want to bring it. The only thing I will say about that, two things, actually, because it's just so on brand for the MLB. One of the story traditions of the All-Star game is let guys wear their jerseys, right? The home team wears the white. The road team wears the gray. Instead, they put them with these freaking pajamas like it's a goddamn sleepover. Everybody's going to like a pillow fight's going to break out. And they also put their storied MLB draft on the exact same day as the NBA finals, which is absolutely stupid, but that's what Rob Manfred does. Any of those guys, Pete Alonso could be a dude. Rob Manfred could be a dud till the end of time. But give me your dudes and duds for this week specifically, Andrew. All right. Well, I haven't really done anything homerish yet. So I'm going to do my homer moment and say Uh, my dude of the week is Hubert Davis. I mean, the guy's absolutely crushing it on the recruiting trail right now. Got a former McDonald's All-American transfer this week. Going to have the best front court at the ACC. Let's go. Then the very next day, gets a five-star center, giving UNC the number one recruiting class in 2022 so far. So looks like he's picking right up where Roy left off. And I know everyone's shaking their heads, but UNC basketball, baby. I'm excited for November. Let's go. Oh, my goodness. Yep, there it was. It only took us about an hour to get there, but I appreciate it. 
Look, my dude of the weekend, it's a, it's a very, very sad story, but I believe it, it earns a little bit of attention. Matisse Kivlenix, he is he's a goalkeeper for the Columbus Blue Jackets in the NHL. He passed away over July 4th. Uh, but as you know, as stories are kind of coming out about that, it actually turns out he he was a hero. Um, one of his teammates, I'm not going to try to pronounce his name and just call him Elvis, but um, he was there with his pregnant wife, who's in her third trimester. An errant firework went off, and it was basically going right for this guy and his wife. And Matisse jumped right in front, and it unfortunately it cost him his life. But I mean. The guy died a hero. He should be remembered as such, and he will live on forever as a dude of the week. Absolutely. Andrew, I hate to go into a dud after this, but that is the segment, and that's the way the show is formatted. Can you give me a dud? Oh, yeah. I mean, so a sport we don't really talk about a whole lot on this show is, is soccer or football, if you're anywhere else in the world besides the United States. Um, you know, we had the Euro finals this year. It was really exciting, you know, the penalty kicks, but the dud of the week has got to be English soccer fans for how they handled the, the loss. Because for those that don't know what happened, England takes a 1-0 lead very early in the game. I think it's the second minute. And then they're, they're leading the whole game. Italy finally ties it up near the end of the game. We go to penalty kicks. And England puts these three young players who, like, literally didn't play at all until extra timeout. And they all just get stopped on consecutive kicks. But what, what makes it truly terrible is all three of them are young black guys. And the, the fans have just been utterly horrific to them on social media, racially charged criticism, threatening their lives. People are getting arrested for this. And like, there's, there's no place for racism whatsoever, but especially in this context, like, yes, they missed the penalty kicks, but like, they're not the reason why England lost. Like, I don't claim to be a really well-versed soccer fan, but from what it sounds like, once they had the, the early lead, they basically just played prevent defense for the last 118 minutes of the game, which is never a good way to operate when you're not being aggressive. And you know, like I said, they were inserted into the game right near the end of the game. They're coming in cold. Oh, and by the way, one of these guys is 19 years old. Like, how can you expect this guy to show up on the biggest stage at 19 and to, to, be, to do anything but deliver? Like, of course, he probably felt the pressure and didn't deliver. And I don't know. You would just think England as a, as a soccer nation would have a little more class when it comes to understanding the situation these guys were asked to be in. And it's not their fault. And to react with, like, like straight up – racially charged up to the point where you're getting arrested and English soccer is having to release a statement saying this stuff. It's just, it's unacceptable. And like I said, we don't talk about soccer a whole lot, but for me, this was the worst thing that happened this week. Yeah, it's absolutely disgraceful. And one thing should, that should be noted, Marcus Rashford, who's one of those players who missed uh, one of the penalty kicks he plays for Manchester United. He's actually single-handedly credited with uh, creating a food drive there in London for uh, at-risk at kids. He basically fed thousands of kids there in the London area. They had a mural for him out there that was vandalized. And then, of course, a bunch of the folks in the community came over and cleaned up the vandalism, put a bunch of hearts, a bunch of messages to him. I mean, by all accounts, really good dudes. You mentioned Saka, who's only 19, one of the youngest guys to ever play in the Euros. This absolutely has no place in the game. English fans would be absolutely embarrassed themselves. It's an absolute disgrace. I've got duds of the week, but I'm not even going to follow it up because England fans just need to sit on it. You need to wear it. You're absolutely disgusting. Figure it out. This has nothing to do with race and has no place in the game anywhere across the world. So shut the fuck up. That's, that's all we got today. That's the walk-ons. It's Thursday, July 15, 2021. We're out. The walk-ons.